Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. We have a new sponsor this week. Hey Amarillo is sponsored by Bivens Point. Bivens Point is a wellness community that offers rehab and recovery services, long-term care, and the BeFit Outpatient Therapy Clinic for senior adults. When it's time to help your parents or grandparents make rehab or nursing care decisions, turn to Bivens Point. BivensPoint.org, and that's point with an E. Today's guest is Beth Duke, the executive director of Center City Amarillo. Center City is a nonprofit organization committed to the historic preservation and revitalization of downtown. And if you've lived in Amarillo for any length of time, the revitalization of downtown has been a phrase you've probably heard over and over again. Well, Beth has been leading many of these efforts since she took the job in 2005 at Center City. So that means that Beth has been involved in almost all the exciting stuff that's been happening downtown over the past decade, from sponsoring events like High Noon on the Square and the Amarillo Community Market in the summer, to Create 2018 this past weekend, to the Electric Light Parade that's scheduled for late November this year, Uh, The Hoofprints American Quarter Horse Project. She's behind a lot of those efforts. The signage on Polk Street. Beth is involved behind the scenes in more things than I can count in this introduction. So here's Beth Duke. Beth Duke, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This is an exciting thing for Amarillo just to get to know the people better. Well, good. I appreciate it. I appreciate that you uh, listen to the podcast. Of course. Those always make really good guests. Before we talk about Center City and all the things that are happening downtown and the stuff that sort of is in your wheelhouse right now, I want to go further back and find out about everything you've done up to this point. So tell me, how did you end up in Amarillo in the first place? I'm a native. Uh, My dad came here in 1954 to work for the helium activity of the Bureau of Mines of the Department of Interior, and he retired from that job. He was a mechanical engineer very proud of him. He designed the instrumentation to freeze helium out of natural gas. Okay. And so here was where he needed to be. Where was he from before that? He grew up in Clovis, in the Clovis area. So still sort of in Went to the University of New Mexico. He served in World War II and then recalled in Korea. And then he decided he didn't want to travel much more. He wanted to settle down here because this is where you could work for the helium activity. And pretty much you were here with the geography. Did you go to school here? All schools here. Um, went to kindergarten at beautiful Savior Lutheran School. I went to Coronado Elementary School, Austin Junior High, Tascosa High School, Amarillo College, three years at Baylor, and then back here to Amarillo. Tell me about that decision going away to Baylor. Did did you intend to come back to Amarillo? Were you open at that point to other things? How did that work out? You know, I went to Baylor uh after I transferred from Amarillo College, I'd been working on newspapers ever since the fifth grade at Coronado. We had a newspaper that came out once every six weeks called the Coronado Conquistador. Wow. And it was mimeographed, for those of you who know what that is. I don't remember a school newspaper even when I was in elementary school. And we came out every six weeks, and I worked on that newspaper, the newspaper at Austin Junior High, uh, the Tascosa Pioneer, I was editor of uh, The Ranger at Amarillo College and then editor of the newspaper at Baylor. And when I was at Baylor, uh, I applied for an internship here at the Amarillo Globe News and thought, 
that's a 12-week internship. It would help me land a job at a daily newspaper, which was my goal, but I never thought I'd be back here. And uh, that summer, I met a photographer, and I, even though I knew it probably wasn't smart to date somebody at work, I figured it was only 12 weeks, and then things got serious, and after I graduated, I came back here, and the Globe News held a job for me so I could start as soon as I graduated as a copy editor at the Globe News. I assume that photographer is your husband, Ralph. He is, and if we make it to August 14th, it'll be 42 years. Wow, congratulations. So be careful who you who you date who during you work an with. internship. That's right. Did you always want to go into journalism? I mean, working always. on newspapers you know, in elementary school, you, you had a always. talent for that. In the fifth grade, I read a book called Nellie Bly, Girl Reporter. <laughs> and you know, here's the thing, at that time, most women in business were teachers or nurses or secretaries if they weren't full-time moms. And I read Nellie Bly, Girl Reporter, and that was the time I realized girls could do that job. And it changed everything. What was the draw for you? Was it the writing aspect? Was it the people and interviewing aspect? I mean, what about the job appealed to you? It was very much the reporting and the interviewing. Getting to interview people and learn about them as role models. I've always been more interested in nonfiction than fiction. And oh, over the years, it opened the doors. I met and interviewed so many fascinating people. How many years did you work at the Globe News? I worked at the Globe News for 29 years. 29 years. And so uh, you transitioned out of the Globe News what year? 2005. 2005. Okay. So we've talked with a number of different guests I've had um, about how sort of the news industry has changed in recent years, uh, most recently with John Mark Ballou when he retired. But you know, you, you still interact with the media a lot today. Tell me what you see and how the local newspaper business has changed, has evolved, has diminished? I mean, what what do you see these days? It's so different now. You know, in my career, I saw a lot of changes. Uh, I went to the newspaper in 1976, and they had just transitioned from linotype machines to cold type. And that was a big, big change. And then through the years, of course, um, with offset printing, all the different things. And that's one thing I loved about newspapers, because every day when you went home, and somebody said, what'd you do at work today? You could say, this is what I did at mm. work that day. And it was so gratifying to be knowing about everything and to be in the know. I think one of the biggest things that changed, really, we didn't know exactly how it was going to change, but was the internet. Because all of a sudden, you didn't just have two or three deadlines a day. You were in a constant 24-7 news cycle. And it wasn't just the internet, but even Cable News Network and some of those pioneers made it a 24-7 environment. So I think newspapers were a little slow to figure out how to monetize the internet. Uh, there were still advertisements. People maybe paid for obituary notices or some online classified type ads. But overall, the newspaper industry really didn't figure out how to monetize that, which is a shame because such a cheaper delivery system than printing on newsprint and mm -hmm. throwing it at everybody's door. That's been tough. And then now, even when I started at Center City in 2005, you could pretty much schedule a news conference. And if you had all three local television stations, a talk radio news station, the newspaper, you could figure you pretty much covered or saturated the market. 
And now, more and more, it's hard to know where people are getting their right. news. And for some, it's the it's a Facebook feed, or for some, it's what you know what pops up on the margin on on one of their other platforms. So it's really difficult now to know where people are getting their news, and then you translate that. How do you deliver if you don't know where people are are right. reading? What was your beat back then during most of your time? At oh, I had I had great jobs up there. Um, for a long time, I was a features editor, and that was so much fun. Um, that was arts and entertainment, travel and food, before we called ourselves foodies. It was so much fun. I interviewed amazing people and even had some, some fun experiences with some contests that were the forerunners of what we see on Food Network and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later on, I was a columnist, and I had a column twice a week and then three times a week. And that was a big discipline because you really had to figure out something interesting to write about all the time. You're always thinking of the next one, just like you're thinking of your next podcast. And then when I retired, I was city editor, and that was so much fun because we were organizing the team of reporters who would cover the local news. And I was so proud because... That last year, said the paper, we won a team award from Associated Press for our team reporting on the Rick Husband tragedy okay. in the space shuttle. And um, that was really one of the high points of my career. And then I have fabulous interview notes from famous people I interviewed over the years. And it's really exciting that journalism opened that up for me. Right. You talked about your retirement. You talked about Center City. Uh, I want to talk about that transition because that's a that's a pretty big change to go from journalism from reporting on things that are happening to actually being a person who is making those things happen so tell me how that happened I mean was that part of a plan or did it sort of fall into your lap it was not part of a plan I retired in May of 2005 and I really it was early retirement I wasn't quite ready to retire and then some friends called me and said, you should apply for the job at Center City. And of course, I knew a lot about Center City. Uh, I'd been on the board of a previous organization called Preservation Amarillo. My minor's in history. I love history. I love old buildings. And they said, I should apply. And fortunately, I convinced them that I was the right person for the job. I said, you know, you don't have to teach me Amarillo. You don't have to teach me the people. You've got to teach me a little bit about running a Main Street organization. And then the board was wonderful to me. Uh, My board of directors that first year, uh, they paid my tuition to take a course with Charlotte Rhodes through Amarillo College uh, about fundraising and the nonprofit world. And I will tell anyone, that more than anything helped me bridge 30 years in corporate to moving to nonprofit. Was it difficult to make that transition with... You know, journalism, you're always worried about sources and ethics and appearances and how information is communicated into a world where you're actively trying to get people to, you know, support things that are happening, to bring in money, to make sure the funding is there. I mean, was was that a, a big part of the, the difficulty or the challenge, I guess? You know, I think so much of uh, managing a nonprofit, fundraising, development, all those things, it's relationships. Okay. And I had 30 years of that. So I tell everybody, I'm pretty lucky because my car would come downtown anyway. I'm just lucky I get paid. You just uh, automatically come downtown. You just stop I do. A, a the car comes. Early. Yes, that's right. So tell me about Center City and its goal. I, I know that there are a lot of people who have heard 
the phrase Center City. They may even know Beth Duke because they've seen you at events, but don't have a full grasp of what you do or why it's so important to this area. So Yeah, Center City began 25 years ago, and most people don't realize it's the oldest. It predates you. It does. It does. There were several executive directors before me. And uh, what people need to know is that it was started by a group of concerned citizens who saw that our downtown was going away. And if somebody didn't step up and do something, it would be all parking lots. Because the, the retail had gone to the malls. A lot of the restaurants had gone closer to the neighborhoods where people live. Shopping patterns had totally changed. People shopped close to where they lived. They didn't shop close to where they worked. So the big push then was with all these office buildings and courts and um, county and city buildings, let's just tear it down and make it a parking lot. 10 or 15 years ago, downtown has come a long way since then. But 25 years ago, it was it was a ghost town. It was. It was. When they started, uh, you know, I tell people there was no parking problem because at five o'clock, everybody left. You could have parked anywhere on Polk Street because the buildings were empty and by 5 o'clock, everybody went to their neighborhoods. So let's talk about some of the ways that you, or that the, the organization itself had already begun making some changes. And then when you came on board, you know, you pushed it even further. Talk to me about some of the ways that you started trying to reverse that trend. I will say Center City had some early successes. For example, uh, this was our 24th season of High Noon on the Square. It'll be our 22nd Electric Light Parade. So they had started some very cool events, some very neat events, but they didn't have much traction in historical preservation, and they didn't have much traction in getting the public-private partnership of getting city and county government on board that this was an important thing. And when I came over in 2005, I was at a very um, informal luncheon with Mayor McCart, who had just been elected, Wes Reeves, Ed Davis, and Gary Pittner, and we sat around a lunch table and said, how can we make this happen? And we decided our first thing we would do, we would convene a meeting of downtown property owners, stakeholders, civic leaders, preservationists, and we got permission to have our meeting in the Santa Fe Auditorium. We invited about 150 people, and we paid the expenses for a man to come from Fort Worth to tell us how Fort Worth made it happen. Okay. The big takeaway from that meeting was no developer is going to look at you unless you have a written plan. And, you know, I've co-authored a management textbook. I speak on goals and objectives all the time. And he was right. Nothing happens if you don't have a written plan. And that's in all of life, right. not just downtown. But he, more than anyone, said, we have to have a plan. And everybody was listening that day. And from that, um, the city of Amarillo raised some money. Center City raised some money. Richard Ware, Richard Brown, Betty Hell, different people raised some money. And we were able to hire a Fort Worth architectural firm to do a strategic action plan for downtown. And that was in 2005. In 2006, we had so many public meetings. We met in every quadrant of the city. Mm -hmm. We said, we're not just meeting downtown where you come to us. We're going to all all the neighborhoods. And we came up with an amazing strategic action plan, very ambitious. 
It was adopted by city council in 2008, and I'm proud to say now 10 years out, we have achieved almost every goal we wrote in that plan. Uh, We are not quite there on residential living in Amarillo downtown. But have made some really big steps. We have made some huge steps. We have a convention center hotel. Next uh, next spring, we're going to play baseball. Um, I have one of the largest downtown dining districts in the state of Texas. Really? With 38 restaurants, not even counting the new food truck park. And we are making downtown, as we said on our goal, a place to live, work, play, learn, and worship. Okay. We even have a new WT Amarillo Center right. in an old mid-century department store building that now looks important as if it was here the whole time. Right. Tell me about why a vital and energetic downtown is so important to Amarillo. Because I know we'll have conversations, you know, when it's everybody's thinking about baseball stadium or hotels, and they'll say, well, you know, there are problems in this side of town. There are things that need to be in, addressed on this other side. Why is Center City so vital to the rest of Amarillo? You know what? When uh, when I'm giving my talks, one word picture I like to paint is if if you've ever watched Star Trek, and many people have, even though they won't admit it, if you were beamed down in a regional mall, it would take you a little while to figure out what town you're in. Mm-hmm. They all pretty much have a Sears and a Penny's and a department store and a food court. You might get a clue from regional decoration. But generally, they're all going to look alike. Right. But if you're beamed down in a downtown, that's a sense of place. No other downtown looks like your downtown. And on TV, when they'll show something about Amarillo, they show the Paramount sign. Right. They show Polk Street. They show a great old building. They don't show a modern, more of a box store along I-40. This is what they show. So to me, it gives us a sense of place. And the other thing about a downtown... And this is an analogy everybody gets. You don't want your downtown to be like a donut because what's in the middle of a donut? Nothing. Nothing. It will be a black hole that will continue to eat away at the edges. You want your downtown to develop like a cinnamon roll because what's the best part of a cinnamon roll? It's it's the The gooey middle middle part. The middle. Almost everybody I talk to has either had a donut or a cinnamon roll or both. And if you make your downtown the center of the cinnamon roll, it's just going to keep bringing up the adjacent neighborhoods. And you have to start somewhere, as we talked earlier. I believe in downtown because we have the most beautiful historic buildings. It's so worth saving, and it can come back. One of the things that that I know Center City has been a big part of is the signage on Polk Street. That's right. Um, that's very visible to people, but they may not know the why behind it. So tell me whether it's it's going back to the the heyday of Polk Street or you know that feel. Why why is having all these you know cool vertical signs hanging off of the buildings and the businesses there such a big deal? You know, uh, Wes Reeves has an old Southwestern Public Service annual report that says Amarillo was the best lit Main Street west of the Mississippi. Now, we did lose that title to Reno and Vegas, but we know we can bring it back. And uh, for the past 25 years, Center City has had a program through the city of Amarillo for facade grants. And we've tried to use that facade grant very strategically to help bring back that signage and the neon, because when you see it, you see something happening and you want to explore. 
And it's really become a trademark for our beautiful Polk Street. And the facade grant is not just, you know, Center City throwing money at businesses, but the, nope. the owners have to be involved in that too. I mean, it's a, Very it's a partnership. Much. Right? They have to apply. It's decided by a volunteer board. It's a matching grant for every dollar we spend. They have to show they've spent a dollar. And um, over the years, I will say year before last, Center City achieved the mark of investing more than $1 million wow. in facade grants back to our downtown. And if you drive the streets and see a building that has a cool sign or it's been upgraded or landscaped or streetscaped or maybe has new beautiful windows, probably it was a facade grant building. Can we talk about why those aesthetic parts are important? A lot of people think, well, in terms of economics or in terms of people, but a downtown that looks good is important too. Why is that? It's the same reason that people watch... uh, Home and Garden Television, it's curb appeal. Okay. And, you know, you want your downtown to be welcoming. If people are, let's say for Bell Helicopter, they're recruiting a lot of people to come to Amarillo to live, and they drive downtown. If the buildings are trashy and empty and broken windows and dilapidated, that is a big signal to people that there's nothing going on in this downtown. Where we want to make our downtown look beautiful on the outside and we know people spend way more money on the inside but our job is to capture that first impression that this is a place i'd like to spend some time one of the big successes over the last few years has been the community market tell me about that and how oh, that the came community about. market it is it is a true success story about three years ago there were several young people that may or may not want to be called millennials who decided that that's what Amarillo needed, was a community market. We already had a good farmer's market. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of arts and crafts shows, but they wanted a full pop-up community market that had everything and gave people this experience. So they went to speak to our city manager. And for those of you keeping count, that was four city managers ago. And uh, Terry Childers said, well, I think Center City needs to be involved. So he called me into his office and we had a meeting with uh, with the leadership team and said, I'd like you to write a business plan for a community market. And I thought, because I know how cities operate, I thought I was doing it for the next year because of their budget cycle. So I did my plan. I went in to him, and he said, tell me what you need to start this, this summer. So because... What month was that? Uh, that was in May. Okay. Well, it, that's almost summer already. And we opened... That year, that first year, June 9th, wow. July 9th. And uh, fortunately, I'd been in the job a while, and when he asked me what I needed to open that soon, I had a full list. And the city really helped me streamline the permits, close the streets, work with environmental health, everything I needed so that we opened on July 9th. Tell me how it's grown since oh that God. opening. That what kind of numbers day, do you have? At that this first point? day, we had thirty-five vendors, which, and which is a good. We, we were happy, for... but we just didn't know what was going to happen after that. This year, we opened up applications. I had hundred and seventy applicants. We curated that down to hundred and twenty, and we've been averaging about ninety to hundred every week. Tell me about the curating process. Are you trying to? keep the numbers of vendors diverse, like representative of all these different, whether it's, you know, farm, vegetables and fruits, crafts, I mean, to have just a a good list from people to draw from? Exactly. Our first mission is everything has to be 
baked, created, grown within a 150-mile radius. Okay. So that's the first thing. We don't want uh, to be the flea market because, you know, here's the thing. We have plenty of those already. We want to be different. Then after they pass that criteria, then we do have a loose percentage of we would like to have about 30% produce, mm-hmm. 30% cottage-made foods and um, ready-to-eat foods, and then we'd like to have the last 30% arts and crafts. Okay. And that way we would keep a balance. So if you come to market, we hope you know you can find a little bit of each of those things. With Center City having accomplished so many things according to you know the plan that was in place, what are you looking forward to in the next five to ten years? I mean, do you do you have an additional, you know, set of plans that you're things that you're trying to accomplish? Well, right now, Andrew Freeman, who works at the city, has approached city council about updating the 10-year plan. And it's really time because some plans just sit on a shelf. This one didn't. You can drive around downtown right. and see it didn't just sit on a shelf. But it is time to update it. And we need to take another look at how to get more residential downtown because that's one of the next big pieces. Um Center City is part of Texas Main Street and National Main Street. And all of my friends in those Main Street organizations say that once our multi-purpose event venue opens, the development around that area, more of the warehouse and civic center area, is just going to be exponential. So that's the next big thing on our horizon. And then, of course, to play ball next spring. So you you, you came back for an internship to the Globe News. Yes. Not necessarily thinking you were going to meet a husband or stay in Amarillo or, or anything like that. Two roads diverged. Two roads diverged. Looking back on on how that all kind of happened, are you surprised that you've ended up here for, for all of your life, having grown up here? Or do you ever think, well, you know, I, I could have ended up doing something someplace else? It's pretty amazing to me because when I was at school at Baylor, I thought I would um, land a job at a daily newspaper, and I wasn't really sure where I would go. And family and other things uh, kept us here. Ralph being a freelance photographer, you know, you, you go where your clients are. Right. So uh, looking back, I am pretty amazed how deep our roots go. Do you have a second retirement in your future? I mean, do you plan to stick around here whenever that You that know, I've did, I, I'm so excited for, for what's to come. Um, I can't see you just like leaving everything behind. No, because really, this is the best time to be downtown. I mean, if you're, if you're going to be downtown, uh, be there for part of the harvest, not just right. planting the seeds. And um, it's exciting to me because I get a lot of affirmation in this job. Many, many people come to me and say, thank you for what you've done for downtown or thank you for what your board or your volunteers have done for downtown because Center City's founders knew early on the cavalry wasn't coming. Mm-hmm. We're too far away from Austin. We're way too far away, in many ways, from Washington, D.C., and if we were going to do it, we had to do it ourselves. I get a lot of affirmations from people who've grown up here, who love the nostalgia, and then to young people who say, I love bringing my friends downtown. They left here a few years ago. They can't believe everything that's going on. And this is the most exciting time to be downtown. Now, if I know my podcast listeners, I would suspect that most of you probably won't think about senior health care at all until it's time to help your parents or your grandparents make those kinds of decisions. But when that time comes, turn to Bivens, a long-trusted name for senior health care in Amarillo. 
The upscale, hospitality-driven environment at Bivens Point delivers uncompromising rehabilitation services through state-of-the-art methods. They guarantee a personal experience and outcomes that surpass your expectations. How do I know this? Well, both of my Amarillo grandparents spent time at Bivens Point. I've seen firsthand the culture there. I've seen their understanding that every patient is an individual with unique needs. Their therapy team works with every patient and their family and their healthcare provider to figure out the best care and treatment plan. When the goal is to return home, they work with family members to explore details about living arrangements and help prepare for discharge. If the plan is to stay in the facility after therapy is complete, Bivens Point works side by side with the nursing staff so that every patient can function at their highest possible level. And this preserves the independence they so desperately want and the dignity they deserve. So if you'd like to learn more about Bivens Point, if you'd like to schedule a tour of their facilities, contact Becky Davis at 806-350-2206 or visit BivensPoint.org. Again, that's Point with an E. Okay, we're back with Beth Duke of Center City. Beth, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Love that. Okay, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you can manage. I've asked this question before, but I feel like you are a particular authority on this subject. So what's your favorite building in downtown Amarillo? You know, my favorite building is the Santa Fe building. I think it really kind of started the downtown preservation ethic. And it's beautiful inside and out. The detail of it's amazing. If you ever get a chance, get a tour of it. It has two sub-basements. They found a mastodon jawbone in the building. It's on the plaque outside. And the other thing I love about the Santa Fe building is when I'm coming home and I see the Santa Fe neon sign, I know I'm home. Mm -hmm. How do you describe Amarillo to family members or to people who live outside this area? I describe Amarillo as a very self-sufficient city. We're a product of our geography. We're not close enough to anybody else to go to Symphony in Dallas or to go to a museum in Santa Fe. We had to make these things ourselves. And I'm super proud that we were able to get Amarillo designated as the Amarillo Cultural District because we have had to create all those cultural assets on our own and support them. And it's important that I think people know we have so much going here. Tell me, what is the significance of having that designation as a cultural district? Literally, having the designation as the Amarillo Cultural District puts us on the map of the Texas Commission on the Arts. Okay. It shows that we have documented enough cultural assets, sustainable cultural assets, to showcase the arts in Amarillo. And everyone knows we have a Western heritage, and they know we have the cowboy heritage. We just want to show all the other great things we have, too. Does that make us, uh, like, like give us access to a, a certain type of funding or something that we might not have had otherwise? It did. Uh, there was a program for grants for cultural districts. Unfortunately, that went away in the okay. last legislative session, but we're always hopeful it could come back. And then I think it is a mark of prestige when we apply for other grants to say, you know, we are a documented cultural district, and we try to let everybody know it. So here, here's a question that I ask all of my guests. What does this area have too much of? I think we have too much sprawl. You know, it's just so easy to keep sprawling. And that shows up in everything from not just new construction, but even recycling. You know, we have enough land to keep 
doing more landfills. And a lot of studies have shown that creative infill is actually cheaper because you already have the infrastructure. Hmm. And I look at so many of these places in uh, the center and the neighborhoods near downtown, the creative infill that's happening in other cities, that could be very exciting for our town. So instead of building something out on in the suburbs, that, that there are opportunities to build something new here. Creative infill, it would be, would be fabulous if we had more of that. What does this area not have enough of? I don't think this area has enough available transportation. I think it's really, really hard in Amarillo if you don't have a car. Okay. And I would love to see more and better public transportation just for the people who live here. And then I think our airport, too, is making great strides in getting us some more flights. In the past, it was if you lived in Amarillo, you could get on a plane and be to Dallas in an hour and almost anywhere within that same day. And now it's really getting very tough because they've cut back flights, Mm -hmm. cut back times. And I think transportation is going to be one of our city's next big challenges. Everything from the municipal bus service to air transportation and making our city more walkable and bikeable for people so they don't always have to move their car. What's the most unique thing or most creative thing that you've seen being sold at the community market? I love the purple flamingo popsicles. You know, I do too. Uh, she, those partners have just done an amazing job of creating different flavors and making it fun. And it's one of the most uh, approachable and enjoyable things at the market because you see people walking around with these colorful popsicles and you say, well, what's that flavor? What are they doing today? And the funniest, they actually have a sod poodle popsicle. That's right. Uh, it is actually kind of a blueberry lemonade. Usually it may have some other things in there. But if you've ever wondered what a sod poodle might taste like, come to market. <laughs> it, it's a unique business in that its best advertising is the people actually using that products on a hot day. Oh, it is. Market. And we even got hand washing stations at market because yeah. uh, it's just it's just one of those experiences. But you don't want the kids to leave sticky. Okay. What is your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? I love the fall. I love the fall. I love that Amarillo has all four seasons. But I think the fall is really the best. Uh, you know, we have our Jazztober event. You sit outside in the cool evenings. I, I think that's just the best. What's your favorite Emerald restaurant? And I, I want to give you a disclaimer. I know you probably have partiality to the downtown restaurants. If you don't want to offend a certain one, you can name a restaurant anywhere. So, you know, I think where you where you'll find me usually is Crush. Okay. Uh, the old one was great. The new one's even better. It has gourmet level food casual atmosphere and you can be as dressed up or casual as you like and I think they've just done a great job of making it approachable for everyone do you have a certain go-to dish or anything at crush that you get pretty often oh I pretty much like the airline chicken okay why do you like that Uh, because I don't have the patience to make my own risotto (laughs) okay and then this is a question I've asked pretty often when was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch I visited Cadillac Ranch about Six weeks ago, I had the great opportunity to take the leadership team of our new baseball team on a tour of Amarillo because they were trying to get a sense of the culture. And we did the whole thing. We stopped at Home Depot. We bought the spray paint. They made the trick, and it's all over Facebook. 
And it's really on the bucket list of everybody. And, you know, I tell people, Amarillo, I-40, it's, it's a bookshelf. On one end is the Big Texan, which is a fabulous worldwide attraction. The other end, Cadillac Ranch, another fabulous bucket list attraction. And my job is to get them off I-40 to see all the cool stuff downtown. Okay. Uh, Beth, that that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close every episode by asking my guest to endorse something related to the area. So what is something, clearly your job is to endorse all kinds of things related to Amarillo. Uh, you're a professional at it. But what's something that you would want listeners to know about, to experience that they might not otherwise know? I would like listeners to uh, get out of their car and walk around downtown and really appreciate the beauty of our old buildings because we think they're worth saving. And unless you slow it down and get out of your car and really see the architectural detail and the history of our building boom in the 1920s and 19, uh, early 1930s, you won't appreciate what we have and what an architectural treasure we have. And you can cover several blocks downtown yes. in just a few minutes. I mean, it, it's not like a huge endeavor to walk downtown. No, and just look up. And what I always do, we have a lot of photo tours, different ones. If they can find the blue gargoyles, they might get a prize. Okay. Well, Beth Duke, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Bivens Point for sponsoring the show this week and to Beth Duke, especially for sitting down with me at the Center City offices to talk about downtown Amarillo. You can learn more about Center City at centercity.org. You can learn more about this podcast at heyamarillo.com. Find us on Facebook, on Twitter at Hey Amarillo, on Instagram at Hey Amarillo Podcast. Um, If you are so inclined, please leave a review. Leave it at Apple Podcasts. Leave it on Facebook. Any of those things helps the show. It helps me find an audience. It helps this podcast continue to grow. Apart from that, thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.